0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. I feel like this is a, a very urgent topic to speak about. This isn't urgent because of any amount of benefit for our local church or any organizations that we are part of or any people groups that are benefactors to your generosity. But I believe it is urgent because I believe generosity is tied to our discipleship. Generosity, I believe, is a problem that is found in every church across our nation. And I can guarantee you that we can walk into any church and we find problems of generosity because we find problems of discipleship, we find problems of our sanctification because we are sinful creatures trying to look more and more to the power of the Spirit like a perfect and holy God. My hope this morning is that you will grow to look more like Christ through the power of the Spirit of God working on your heart in the brief moments that we do have together. Just at the mention of talking about generosity and of finances and of giving, some of you might have already checked out with me already in a sermon on generosity. Um, You might have the feeling of this is going to be a used car salesman's speech to get us to give more money. You might think a plate will soon pass by you and guilty looks will be given if you do not place something in there. Let me assure you, take a deep breath, none of that will occur this morning at all. You can ignore the weight of the billfold in your pocket right now as it has grown and you feel it and it's conscious to you of of where it sits. However, I, I do want to make a point before we do move on that generosity of our local church is what allows us to accomplish the mission of our local church. And this will be the only time I say this. You can give to the ministry of Stone Oak Bible Church. There's a QR code for it. There's a website link, stoneoakbiblecom give. Again, this is the only time I will mention this throughout this sermon. Because this isn't a sermon focused on the generosity of our local church. This is a sermon focused on generosity as it relates to our discipleship, our growth in Christ. To my knowledge, we as a church have never had an individual sermon focused on finances or generosity. If the text we are going through speaks towards finances or generosity, then, of course, we will speak to it, but we've never focused directly on what does it mean for me as a believer to live a generous life. However, throughout Scripture, we see the topic of generosity coming up constantly. If you were to do a a quick survey of the number of times that specific words or topics are found within the Bible, you might be appalled. When we think of topics in the Bible, we often think of faith and of prayer. Two big topics, very important, and they might be at the top of our list. However, within the scripture, money and finances are mentioned almost five times more than prayer and faith combined. Jesus, in fact, has a lot to say about money. Well, why? Why in the world are money and finances mentioned so often within the Bible? Well, we can look to the Bible and it helps to answer that question for us. Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. There are two areas where I believe we can quickly diagnose the conditions of our heart. Those two areas would be our our bank accounts and our calendars. These might be the most used apps that you have on your phone of What does my calendar say is going to happen today? And what is our financial state? You know, where you spend your money and where you spend your times are the things that you care about. The opposite is also true. Where you choose to not spend your time and where you choose to not spend your money are things that you care less about. Uh, Let me just pause right here. We're, We're talking about finances. We're talking about time. My purpose this morning is not to make you feel guilty. That's, that's not what I, I'm trying to accomplish today. In fact, if you're giving, if your generosity is only from guilt, then it's not generous. My, my purpose this morning is not for a modern-day guilt indulgence. I know that we currently live in a highly populated Catholic area, In fact, many of you in this room have come out of the Catholic faith. One of the things I'm amazed with as I talk with many Catholics, they're unaware of the doctrine of indulgences. Well, let me show you what the Roman Catholic Church has to say. This is directly from the Roman Catholic Church. This is their statement of faith as it relates to what are known as indulgences. It says this, an indulgence is a remission before God, of the temporal punishment due to sins, whose guilt has already been forgiven, which the faithful Christian who is duly disposed gains under certain prescribed conditions through the action of the church, which, as the minister of redemption, dispenses and applies with authority the treasury of the satisfactions of Christ and the saints. An indulgence is partial. Or plenary, according as it removes either part or all of the temporal punishment due to sin. Indulgences may be applied to the living or the dead. This is what a Roman Catholic believes, or this is what the Roman Catholic Church believes regarding um, indulgences. In order to understand indulgences, we must understand what does it mean to be justified, within a Roman Catholic belief. In Roman Catholicism, justification is a process. For us today, we would say justification is a point. Sanctification is a process. In a Roman Catholic belief system, though, justification is this continual process. Roman Catholics are not truly justified until the point of glorification. They believe that Christ covers all sins. However... Temporal punishment is still needed. The individuals are responsible for what they call penance, or self-punishment, to cover these sins. One form of penance is exactly what we have read, which is indulgences. An indulgence is simply a way to give financially to cover sin. As we think of generosity, generosity, specifically financial generosity, it's easy to look at our generosity as a way to get in with God. It's a way for us to climb the proverbial ladder of good towards God. It should remind us of the Old Testament story of the Tower of Babel. We're trying to use our own works to reach a holy and perfect God. If our financial generosity is a means to appease God, and we have missed so much. Our standing with God is secure through Christ and not through our bank accounts. Indulgences are, in fact, what spurred on Martin Luther and the Reformation movement of 1517. He saw people paying money in the hopes of covering sin, either their own or family members. But more importantly, it was an erasing of Guilt. A guy by the name of John Tetzel was walking through the city, and he was going around collecting funds to build a new church building. If you gave money, you were promised time off, either for your own time in purgatory or for a loved ones. There's the often recited quote of, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. This is what Tetzel would say, when a coin in the coffer, click, Rings, a soul from purgatory, springs. This is guilt. This is giving to God as a covering for guilt. Hopefully you'll see this morning that giving finances to cover sin and erase guilt are very poor substitutes. And in fact, they will never be enough. So, why? Why should we, why do we live generous lives First is a theological point God is without need God has no need Exodus 3:14 we have the I am and the I am speaks There's nothing that God needs from us There's nothing that God needs to be complete to fill a lack to fill a void, he is perfectly holy. He suffers no lack. He suffers no limitation. He suffers no deficiency. God does not need our money. In fact, look at Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. We often look at generosity and look at God and think that God needs our generosity. We look through this lens almost of God being this lone officer sitting in heaven. He's just waiting for us to realize that we have a debt that needs to be repaid. The fact is, folks, our our debt has already been paid. Praise be to God, it was paid with something far greater than any dollar amount could match. Our debt was paid by the Son of God going to the cross in our place. Our God is without need, and our giving is, It's a poor substitute for a covering of debt. Also, our generous giving is not a way to tip God or the local church for goods that we have received. We do live in a tipping culture. You most likely have, just this week, offered a financial tip to someone at some time this week. This is foreign and many other cultures, by the way, but here in the United States, we have a tipping culture. Unfortunately, this is also not foreign in the life of a believer. God does not need us to tip him when he does something that we see as beneficial or for our good. Also, the local church doesn't need a tip when the pastor says something that you like or enjoy or the music is good, and we then give a tip. So then why? Why should we live generously? Well, first, we are commanded to. In the Old Testament, we see that God uh, sets up a system. And the system is known as tithing. The word tithe, it literally means tenth. One tenth. A tenth of the first fruits would be given to the Levitical priests to carry out the mission of God. Tithing was something that was meant for all believers in the Old Testament to do. It was established by God in Deuteronomy chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 14, Deuteronomy chapter 26, for the people of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not the people of Israel. Okay, so what does this mean for us? Well, in the New Testament, there's a transition and a change that happens, In the New Testament, the tithe is no longer focused on. You don't see it within the New Testament. There's there's one verse that we can point towards that we do see it, and it's Christ specifically speaking. Matthew chapter 23, specifically in verse 23, Christ is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint and dill and cumin, And I've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Just that visualization, by the way, of straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Beautiful. But who is this written to? It's written to the scribes and Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees who were under the law, So he's speaking to individuals who are under the law of tithing. He says, woe to you, you're tithing, but you're not doing everything else. This is one of the very few instances of tithing being mentioned in the New Testament. Christ came to fulfill the law, Matthew 5, 17. Tithing is a part of the law. Christ fulfilled tithing. We're done. We can leave now. We can pack it up. Not so fast. I, I do believe that tithing is in the New Testament. Not in the way that we think of tithing. Tithe literally means a 10%. Therefore, I don't see the tithe in the New Testament. I do, however, see generosity as a marker of the people of God. It is, in fact, throughout the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 45 this is the establishment of what we call the church in Acts chapter 2. It's the timing of Pentecost. It says this, And they, this is the local church, the people of God gathered together, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they're selling everything. This is, this is like socialism, communism, communism which works out great whenever sin is not present at all. And they're selling everything, and they're caring for the needs of everyone. So are you, therefore, saying that in order for me to be generous, I have to sell everything? Absolutely not. I am saying, though, that in order to be generous, there is a cost that is involved. Although I don't see us being under the law of tithing, I do think it's a fantastic place to begin. Tithing is 10%. It's a great round number to think about whenever it does come to our generosity. However, that might be way too much, and that might be way too little for others, and we'll discuss this in a little bit. Let's get back to our question, though. Why should we give generously? First, we are commanded to. As the people of God were commanded to in the Old Testament, so we... Are also commanded to because it shows the positioning of our hearts. We give generously because God has been so generous to us. If you go back and look at Psalm 50, God is using the stuff of the day to show his ownership. Every beast of the forest is mine. The birds of the hill, all that moves in the field is mine. The world and its fullness is mine. He's using the stuff of the day to show his ownership. Most likely there is somebody that owns these things, the beasts of the fields. There's most likely an owner, a steward of these things. However, God is very clear that although it might belong to somebody. It's ultimately God's. He is the owner of it. Look at James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Take an inventory. Just think. What are the good gifts that God has given to you? What good gifts can you think of that God has given to you? Possibly it's your family as a good gift that God has given to you. If you're sitting next to your spouse, there's the opportunity to just look at him and say, you, you are a good gift that God has given to me. Your children, depending on the day, you might say they're a better gift than others' days, but they are a good gift. What about some earthly possessions? Is your vehicle a good gift? What about your home? Is that a good gift? What about sorrow? It's a good gift. What about death and loss? These are good gifts. What about our bank accounts? These are good gifts. What would it look like for you to devote these things, to be generous with these things to the use of God? We sang a song of lament earlier today. What would it look like to you to use the loss, use your grief for the glory of God? Many of you have experiences that I have never experienced and hope to never experience. Yet, because of your experiences, you're able to relate with people who go through similar experiences of loss and of grief. Don't miss this. God desires, even in the midst of difficult and tough circumstances, for you to be generous with these. Let's take an easier one, possibly. Your home. The physical metal and wood and brick structure that you reside in is a gift from God. Are you using this tool for his glory? Or is it yours and only for your good? My home is my safe space. My home is the place I desire to be after a long day. Whenever I'm on vacation, there comes that point of I can't To get home. There's that sense and that feeling of safety, of security, of the known of being home. However, your home is also a tremendous tool that God desires to use to reach those far from Christ. It's a tool where gospel transformation and gospel sanctification can occur. It is a tool that is desiring to be used. What if we thought about our bank accounts in the same way? What if we thought about this generosity in, in, as it relates to our bank accounts? We, we give generously because we understand that we are simply stewards of this resource. Proverbs chapter 23, verse four and five says this. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, wealth, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. This is a scary verse to read. This is a verse I think that we should place at like every time before you check your 401k or before you check the stock market. And, and today, I think it's important to read this and understand that it has sprouted some wings and it has flown away. Our money can completely sprout wings tomorrow and can fly away we often will place our trust in financial institutions those four magic letters f d i c we will place our trust in the institutions rather than placing our trust in the god who provides all i have two children i have my son grayson and my daughter charlie 10 and 8 years old Uh, They both, this week, had book fairs, which, if you don't currently have kids, I'm sure you remember, Scholastic book fairs are still around, okay? I remember, as a kid, getting the Scholastic book fair magazine and wanting to buy the posters. I didn't care about any of the books, but it was all about the posters, and it was the Lamborghini Ferrari posters. That's where it was, okay? They still have them. Uh, I haven't seen as many Lamborghini Ferrari posters today but they still have little trinkets that you can buy. Scholastic is a smart company, okay? They know what they're doing. Both my kids had book fairs this week. Do you know what they did? They came to me. They asked me for my money to spend at their book fair. They asked me when I know that both of my children have money sitting on their dressers upstairs. Isn't it always easier, though, to spend someone else's money? It's always easier to spend somebody else's money. What if we approach generosity with this mindset? What if we came to realize that not only does God own all the cattle on all of the hills, but he also owns all of the dollars and all the banks. The numbers in our bank accounts are a representation of God's faithfulness to us. It's also a representation for his desire for us to use it to his glory. God has been generous to us in material things. We are generous in the place that we live in the United States. This is a generosity that is not offered to all, yet we are the benefactors of his generosity. God, however, has been far more generous to us in spiritual things. God has given us his son, This is the most generous gift. Christ, the Son of God, has taken our sin and has given us his righteousness. John 15, 13 says that this is the greatest display of love possible. We are generous people because We belong to and were created in the image of a generous God. So why do we live generously? Well, we live generously because God commands us to. We live generously because God has given generously to us. Look with me in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 through 19. I believe this text speaks directly to our current circumstances. And it will also lay a foundation for our final points. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19 reads as this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, To be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So, what does this text show us? Well, first, who is this text written to? The rich in this present age. This text had a direct audience of that time, and I believe it is appropriate to apply it to the direct audience of today as well. I don't know your financial accounting. I don't know what your bank accounts look like. However, I promise you, this is you. It's often easy to look around us and say, oh, they make a lot more money than I do. Their bank account is a whole lot larger than mine. Yet whenever you pull out from the scope of me, my, and you look in our nation and you look in our world, this is us. We have been blessed and we are the rich in this present age. This is, this is you. So then, let's continue on. Where then do we place our faith? Well, the text tells us, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. This is the negative. This is the don't do that. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. This is so easy to do so easy to take a raise and live to that means and take another raise and live to that means and take another raise and live to that means and you gain more money, yet your generosity has never changed. Your stuff has usually increased. So where should we place our faith? Well, not in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. The text is relatively clear with this one. Uncertainty shows there's an uh, uneasiness to this, and yet we have the stable, firm foundation of God himself. Continues on. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't miss that. God wants you to enjoy stuff. God is not some, some hard ruler who desires for you to be super broke and poor and never have anything fun or good. God desires for you to enjoy. Enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. This is what God desires of us, is to do good. He desires for us to be rich. But look how he frames this, to be rich in good works. Continuing on, to be generous and ready to share. To be generous and ready to share. Thus... Storing up treasure for themselves. There's an outcome to this. Of those that are generous are, are generous are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. There's a practical application of an individual's life that I would love to point you towards. His name is Jim Elliott. You might be familiar with him. Uh, Jim Elliott gave up everything in order to proclaim the gospel to an unreached people group. This unreached people group um, were hidden in um, a a jungle, and he flies down to proclaim the gospel to them. In the midst of him doing this, Jim Elliott ends up losing his life. And he ends up being killed by um, those that actually... He desired to proclaim the gospel too. He understood that consequence. Um, fast forward, the story continues of his wife uh, finds his journals, um, and uh, she ends up going back to this exact same tribe and proclaiming the gospel to them. And uh, they, they come to know who Christ is. In his journal, though, he has this fantastic quote. I think, speaks to what it means to live a generous life. He says this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We often flip these. We always are trying to gain the things that we will lose, the things that rust and moth will destroy. And we often are putting these in a reverse order. And Jim Jim Elliott's life is a testament to his understanding of this. His desire was to give what he cannot keep. And for him, that ended up being his own life. This morning, as we discuss generosity, I think it's important that we discuss the practical application of how then. How then can I, today, live a generous life? First, and it's, I think, the, the biggest point, our generosity derives, its, its, it derives itself from the gospel. If our generosity is derived from anything other than the gospel, it will fail and it will sputter out quickly. If you're being generous because of guilt, if you're being generous because you see it as a performance, if you are generous because you see it as it's just what we do, it will eventually lack in, in many ways. The only lasting generosity will be generosity founded upon the everlasting words of the gospel. This is the only lasting generosity. Do you know this everlasting truth of generosity? Well, that truth is that your debt has been paid. Is your hope found in Christ alone? If it is, then you are called to live a generous life. Be generous in grace offered to others. Be generous in your time. Be generous with the gifts that God has given to you. So first, our generosity is derived from our God through the gospel. Second, as we look at how can I live a generous life, My second point is to begin now, right now. You don't have to wait for generosity. It's not like, hey, I've got to go through uh, generosity step number one, two, and three, and then I'm going to live a generous life. No, you can begin like right now. Generosity is not something that takes a lot of planning. Generosity, um, most likely God has probably, while I've been speaking through the power of his spirit, kind of prompted you. Given you some thoughts regarding your own personal generosity. Maybe at lunch today, you can offer to pick up somebody else's meal. This is an easy way to be generous. Maybe you can offer to pay for somebody else's turkey, as they are at the grocery store doing that last-minute turkey prep for Thursday. There are many ways that we can be generous, and most of them don't involve a ton of planning. I mentioned earlier that uh, the Old Testament has the the law of tithing. And again, I don't see tithe within the New Testament. What I do see is giving of all things for all people. I think 10% is a great place to start. It's a great target for financial generosity. What would it look like for you to be generous and tithe, if you will, 10% of your time? What would that look like? What would it look like for you to tithe 10% of your meals? You have 21 meals in a week. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What would it look like for you to give two of those meals a week to somebody else? To have, hey, I'd love to have lunch with you, just to sit down and talk about what's happening within your life. What if we did that? I think 10% is a great place to start for most people when it comes to financial generosity. I really do. However, again, I think that might be too much for some, and it might be way too little for others. You see, our generosity has nothing to do with a set dollar amount or percentage. We you look with me in Luke chapter 21, verses one through four, a familiar story. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they, are for, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You see, our generosity, again, has nothing to do with a set dollar amount or set percentage amount. The dollar amount in these two situations, one was very small. One possibly very large. And yet... One was generous, and one was not. Some of you might be giving the most dollars compared to anybody else in this room, yet you might be the least generous. Just giving financially does not automatically make it generous. Not all giving is generous. However, all generous people give. The stats say that the average family within the life of the church gives 2% of their income. The mission of the church costs dollars. There's no way around it. Imagine with me for a moment what could be accomplished within local church throughout the United States if that 2% were increased to 10. There's great hope for me. We as the church, as the believers of, of Christ, Could eradicate poverty. Could eradicate homelessness. The generosity of God through the generosity of his people has great potential. Finally, I ask that you would evaluate your own heart. Our dollars are some of the most sacred things that we have. Our bank account passwords are probably some of the most intimate. Things that we hold on to. I can show you my dirty room and my stacks of laundry. You can come over to my house when I haven't cleaned at all. You can see me and all of my grossness. But there's no way I'm showing you how much I make or my bank account. Some of the things that we hold most intimate within our society. I'm asking you to look at your own heart and to evaluate your generosity. There's much more than it means to be generous. However, we can often focus on these things instead of focusing on generosity and giving because it's often easier. It's often easier for me to think of, I'm going to be generous with my time, I'm going to be generous with my meals. We often are lacking a generosity in our finances because it is so tightly held to our our being. I ask you to be generous in all things. Why? Well, because God has been generous to us in all things. Before I conclude a a sermon on generosity, I want you to note there are many ways that you can be generous with your finances. These include not only your local church, but there are other fantastic organizations and fantastic mission opportunities that if you are looking for a way to be financially generous but you're not sure how, I would love to be the one to to connect some dots for you. Um, My hope is that if you would like to see the gospel go forth and you would like for me to help you make some connections on who and how you can be generous with, I would love to, to make those connections. Church, my hope this morning is that we would be a generous people. And my hope is that our generous nature is not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but instead because we belong to a generous God.